For those of you that know me, it's no secret that I am a sports fan. And if I'm honest, there are many times that my emotional well-being is tied to uh, the outcome of a certain sporting event. But um, the story I'm about to share with you takes fanhood to a whole new level. And it took place on the University of Southern California during their spring football I want you to remember, as I tell you this story, that fan is short for the word fanatic. And so there are some people that just want to be close to the action. Now, the Southern California football program had released and kind of relaxed some of their protocols due to COVID. And a person off the street was able to make their way into the football complex. They were able to share meals with players. They actually even soaked in a hot tub with some players. Um, and this person was not found out until they actually were caught by an assistant coach while they were fielding punts on the field of play. This is someone that wanted to get in the action. They wanted to be so close to the team that they could actually be a part of the team. And I think that's a good segue into the section of Mark that we're going to look at this morning. There's so many of us that feel like we are relegated to be spectators in the kingdom of God when really, in fact, God is calling us and inviting us through Jesus to follow him and to be a part of his kingdom, to see his kingdom shape our identity and who we are as disciples and to see the gospel call us into works that we cannot imagine. And so as we follow Jesus and take steps of faith and obedience towards him, we're going to see him transform us in the process and do wonderful things through us. This morning, each of us are invited to experience a fresh call from Jesus and what it means for us to follow him. Now, this morning, we're going to look at three different sections in the gospel of Mark from chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, where Jesus calls his disciples to himself. And we're going to learn something about the nature of discipleship and how we follow Jesus as we watch how he calls his disciples. The first section is in chapter one. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw, and that's Jesus, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, who was his brother, and they were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So what we have is Jesus calling Simon and Andrew, James and John, to follow him. And immediately they leave everything to follow him. Chapter 2, this is the calling of Matthew. And he went out again beside the sea. And the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus calls Levi, who is Matthew, and he comes and follows him. 
Now, chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. This is kind of the filling out of the 12 original disciples. I want you to notice the language that's used here. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed 12. Simon, to whom whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Would you just take a moment to pray with me? Jesus, I pray that right now, for all those that are watching online, that they would have a fresh encounter with your voice. That in this call that you gave to your original disciples to follow you, that we would hear afresh your voice inviting us into fresh relationship with you and a fresh commission by you towards the world. To do that, we need you to help us to tune out distractions. We need you to help us fix our eyes on you. We need you to send the Holy Spirit to help us to understand and apply your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to give you kind of a big idea that everything is going to hinge on today. This is kind of putting all three of these scriptures together and kind of it's going to help us arrive at a healthy understanding of what discipleship actually is. So what we're going to see in these passages is discipleship is both a call to Jesus and a commission from Jesus. So discipleship is a call to Jesus and a commission from him. We need both of those elements to have healthy discipleship. Now, there is nothing probably more important for us as followers of Jesus than to understand what discipleship actually is. It's who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. It's the commission that he left with us as he ascended back into heaven. Our call was to be disciples and then to make disciples all the way to the end of the earth. But there probably is nothing that is more confusing to people in our day and age than what is discipleship. Now, before we can jump into what discipleship is, I think it would be helpful for us to understand what discipleship is not. And in our day and age, discipleship is somehow considered to be an optional extra. And I think it begins with how many of us heard and responded to the gospel. Most of us responded to the gospel, which was kind of a a ticket to heaven kind of presentation, where we heard the good news that Jesus died for our sins, and that if we believe in what he did on the cross, and that he rose from the dead, that we would experience salvation. All of that is true, and all of that is amazing grace. But the truth is that it's divorced from its natural context that we read in the gospel of Mark and throughout the New Testament. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is here and he's inviting us into a real relationship with him. And as we have a relationship with him, 
the power of the eternal God comes to take up residence inside of us, and we're called into his mission as his disciples, as he's making all things new. And then the consummation of all of that is the reality that all of our sins are forgiven and we get to spend eternity with him. And when we just reduce the gospel down to a ticket to heaven, there are thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon millions of Christians who, if they're honest, are living with a sense of boredom because they've not been called into the mission that God has given us. So that's the problem of setting the bar too low for discipleship, where we're just kind of camping out and waiting for heaven one day. No, the truth is God is calling us into his mission now and to have a front row seat of what he wants to do in and through our lives. But we can have the opposite problem as well. We can set the bar for discipleship too high. Now, I I was in the Navy many moons ago, and I was stationed in San Diego, California, and um, this was kind of the headquarters where the the Navy trained their SEALs. And so I went to school with a lot of these men and women, and these were people that always wanted to go the extra mile. Like we were called oftentimes to go out and to run. And for the normal people, we would put on our socks and our sneakers and we would go out for a run. Well, the people that were training to be Navy SEALs, they put on their combat boots And when normal people would run two miles, they would run six miles. And they're always looking to give that extra. And I think there's a little bit of that sometimes when we think about discipleship. People don't really have a process or a way that they can get exposed to discipleship. So people download paradigms of discipleship that's unhelpful. That discipleship requires that you rise early at 5 a.m. with your Greek lexicon and the, the reality is that discipleship is about learning to be in relationship with Jesus. The posture that we want to take as his followers and as a community is that we're always learning and there's always room for people to get on board with us as a community. So we can set the bar too high and it can make people want to quit before they ever get involved. Another couple of distortions that I think are really common in our day and age before we jump into what discipleship is. The first is because discipleship actually means learner, that we reduce discipleship to an academic exercise, to a set of facts or beliefs that we ascribe to. Now, discipleship certainly requires a core amount of knowledge, but knowledge alone puffs up. So this knowledge that we receive is meant to be holistic and lived out in relationship with Jesus and relationship with other people. Another, um, the, the, the best picture that we have of discipleship, I think, in the modern day world is apprenticeship. Apprenticeship is vital to learn skills and to put them into practice. Now, over the years, we have had a number of medical students kind of camp out with us while they are in medical school. And um, these are brilliant individuals who have memorized tons of knowledge from books about anatomy and physiology and the way that the body works. But um, none of us would want the first time that a medical student 
um, perform surgery to be on a live body. That's why they have cadavers so that they can actually put into practice the things that they're learning in the book. That's what a healthy model of discipleship or apprenticeship is. It's an acquiring of knowledge, but it's a walking with Jesus and putting those things into practice with a group of other people that actually leads to healthy doing. And the opposite of just having a, a super intellectual approach is, is to make it all relational. Now, this is probably the temptation that we fall into most as a church. We are super relational. I, and I thank God for the way that we spend time together and we love one another and we enjoy hanging out. But if we're not careful and we don't make our sharing of life about sharing the life that we have with Jesus, then it can just be reduced to hanging out and we won't be able to move forward in our discipleship. Discipleship does require relationships, but it's relationships that are centered in the life that we have with Jesus. So I know that's a lot just to kind of unpack some of the unhealthy paradigms. Now let's go ahead and jump in to see what healthy discipleship looks like. What we see in all three of these sections is that discipleship begins with a call to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is the core of discipleship. Now, implied into this call to follow Jesus is Jesus's innate ability to lead. Healthy discipleship means that we are consistently placing ourselves under the leadership of Jesus. It also means that there is a path when we are called to follow Jesus, that there's a path that he has marked out for each of us, a race that we are all called to run, that there is a destiny that we are meant to fulfill, and that does not happen apart from following him. The truth is that following Jesus oftentimes will take us to places we would never go on our own so that Jesus can produce things in us and through us that we would never do on our own. Now, my own idea of spiritual formation is radically different than that of what Jesus is. My ideal scenario would be that I would awake each morning and then I would get this download from heaven of specifically what I was supposed to do the, the day, that I would know when each conversation should begin and which should end, when I should rest, how I should do everything. But that's just not the case. Oftentimes, if I was going to map out my own journey, it would rarely ever take me out of my comfort zone. But the truth is, Jesus and his good leadership of us often takes us out of the path of the ordinary and often takes us out of the path of doing things um, where we are comfortable. So a healthy diagnostic question to ask yourself as we look at these verses is, where has Jesus taken you recently that you would not naturally have gone on your own? Where is it that he may be calling you at this very moment that requires faith for the journey? These are indicators that we are placing ourselves under the leadership of Jesus. Dallas Willard, who is maybe one of the greatest voices of discipleship 
in this generation defines discipleship like this. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So that's amazing. If Jesus were in my relational network, if Jesus were in my workplace, if Jesus were in my family unit, what would he look like? How would he operate? A simple way to say that is discipleship is becoming who God has created us to be. And that begins with the call to follow him. So all of those things, when we're talking about placing ourselves under his leadership, can feel like cost. And I don't want to minimize the cost because there is a real cost. But the truth is, what undergirds the cost of discipleship is relationship with Jesus. That is what actually positions us to follow him well and to give him everything. I want you to notice the language of desire that Jesus gives to his disciples in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, He went up on the mountain and called to, and called to him those whom he desired. And if you were going to do anything, I would underline that word, desired. And the response, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they may be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So healthy discipleship is rooted in Jesus' desire for us. Typically, we think discipleship is a function of our own discipline. Now, discipline is vital in discipleship. But what undergirds healthy discipleship is Jesus' desire for us. The best part of discipleship is actually who we get. We get to follow Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is crowned with mercy and kindness and gladness and joy. And as we're in relationship with him, all of those things begin to operate in our life. The call for discipleship is for everyone, but, but don't miss this. It is very personal and very specific, and it is rooted in his desire for you. Jesus calls those whom he desires. Most rabbis pick disciples from among the most promising of students based on their aptitude and their performance. Jesus picks his disciples based on relational intimacy and a desire to be with them. So as Jesus calls you into discipleship this morning, it has more to do with being with you than anything that you could ever do for him. Jesus' transformation strategy is that through nearness and relationship with him, that we would become like him. And the more that we are with him, his passions actually become our own heart passions. Now let this blow your mind. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, the reason that you are a disciple is because he desired you. That before the foundation of the world, that he set his love and his affection on you. And then in time and space, there was a call 
from heaven that it was expressed in the call of the gospel and that you responded and somehow heard his voice. You are a disciple because he desires you. And it's that desire that caused Simon and Andrew and James and John to immediately drop everything in chapter 1. It's that desire that Matthew had that caused him to leave the tax booth in chapter 2. What's amazing as we look at who Jesus calls, especially when we look at Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was despised of the world. He was considered to be the lowest of the low. And Jesus desires those that the world despises. Brennan Manning says this, One of the mysteries of the gospel tradition is this strange attraction of Jesus for the unattractive. This strange desire for the undesirable. This strange love for the unlovely. Listen, you may be watching this morning and think that no one in the world cares about you, no one wants you, and no one desires you. The truth of this passage is Jesus is calling you to follow him because he desires you. Will you take him up on that invitation this morning? He desires you. It is only once we grasp his desire for us that we can embrace his call to follow him. This idea of radical desire from God produces a sense of radical discipleship where we are willing to abandon everything that we've put our hope and our trust and our identity in. We see men that are willing to leave their vocations to find their true identity and their true vocation in Jesus, who is the Messiah. Now, Mark doesn't give us a lot of insight here into what Simon Peter was thinking, but he is telling his story. And you have to think when Jesus called him by the seashore and he was fishing, that he got up that day just like it was any other day. But that was the day for him. And I'm sure when he was telling this story to Mark that he pulled him close and he says, I want you to know and I want you to tell the story of the day that the Savior called me by name. Now, not everyone can remember the day that they first heard the Savior's voice, but if you can, it is a gift. I remember the day that I began to hear the voice of God. It was 1996. I was 20 years old. I remember sleeping till about 3 p.m. because I was hungover. I remember driving to a Taco Bell, getting what would then have been breakfast, and then going to a mall to do my best 1990s impersonation of mall rats, which was essentially making fun of people as they walked by, when a young man who was a teenager came up to me and began to share Jesus with me. And at that moment, it was unmistakable to me that Jesus himself was reaching out and calling to me to follow him. Now that process unfolded over the next several months, 
But from that very moment, I knew that God himself was calling me by name, that he desired me. That is the relational side of discipleship, and it is vital. But not only does Jesus call us to follow him so that we can be with him, he calls us to himself so that we can have other people come and follow him. Our commission is expressed as we bring other people into relationship with Jesus and we expose them to the power of his kingdom. Remember, discipleship is both a call to Jesus and a commission by Jesus. Look at chapter 1, verse 17 with me. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now there is a vital link between following Jesus in relationship and becoming fishers of men. It's not just this call to reach people. It's a call to follow Jesus and watch how he interacts with people and then to learn to do what he does. The essence of our commission is to get people to Jesus. Now, what Jesus was saying to Peter, you have learned to cast a net and to catch fish, but by following me and watching my compassion, watching my mercy, watching where I get my source of power, you are one day going to be able to fish for men. The goal that we have is to connect people with the heart of Jesus at their point of need. To walk with people in such a way where we see how Jesus intersects with their deepest need. One time I was leading an Alpha course, which is basically an evangelistic outreach where um, people who are questioning the faith can ask any questions that they have about following Jesus. And I remember one course in particular, a young man who was a teenager was asking me very bluntly if I believed in the concept or the idea of hell. Now, I tried to be as winsome as possible and as nuanced as possible. I began to talk to him about ideas like God's justice and how it would be wrong to leave the guilty unpunished and also trying to combine that with the concept of God's mercy and forgiveness and how those meet in Jesus and after I, I went on for a few minutes, he listened politely and he said, well, I know for a fact that my father hated God and he hated Jesus and he died in a motor, motorcycle wreck just um, a few years before. So I guess he's in hell, isn't he? And it was at that moment that I knew that I had just answered a question that he had not asked. He was not really asking a question about hell. He was asking a question about his father. And from that moment on, I've made the commitment to ask, why are you asking that question when people ask questions about Jesus? Because that usually unpacks some key elements of their story. And so much of our evangelism and so much of our discipleship is spending time answering questions people are not asking. What we want to do is walk with people in such a way 
where the deepest questions of their life can be exposed so we can get them to Jesus. When we are talking about making disciples, we want to pay close attention in Mark's gospel to how Jesus actually reached people, how he gave dignity to people that no one else gave dignity to, how he entered into situations and the suffering of other people that other people considered to be a huge waste of time. Jesus invites us to bring people to him. And if there was any application that I would want you to take away from this morning is that in your followership of Jesus and in your relational network, there are people that only you can reach. That there are people in your relational network that God has uniquely positioned you to be a witness and bring to the feet of Jesus. That there are ministries that only you can begin inside of our church and inside of our city that God is inviting you into. And, and honestly, that's exactly where we are as a church. We've experienced God's grace and his goodness over the last several months as he's led us strategically into some mission inside of our city. And humbly, we're just asking that God would continue to lead us, that we would know what it means to follow him. So as we follow him, we are commissioned to bring other people as fishers of men to Jesus. The next thing that we see is that discipleship actually requires community. Our commission as disciples actually has a context. Now, these 12 disciples that we see in chapter 3 form the foundation of a new community. Just as in the Old Testament, there were the 12 tribes of Israel that were the foundation of the Old Covenant. These 12 disciples that will be renamed apostles become um, really the foundation of an entirely new community. So discipleship requires the context of community. It's not just us and Jesus. Discipleship is us inside of community as we follow him. Now, I love how Matthew is actually the, the glue between chapters 1 and chapter 3. It says that Jesus called Matthew while he was sitting at his tax booth. Um, and what that's kind of implying, and I think it's brought out really well. I don't know if you've seen the, the TV show, The Chosen. I've been watching it with my kids, and it's excellent. But more than likely, Matthew was the tax collector for Peter and Andrew and James and John for their fishing business. So imagine being called into a mission to follow Jesus while doing it beside someone who has been ripping you off for years as a tax collector. But that's precisely what Jesus did. Because this kind of community requires supernatural power. And as God brings together people that wouldn't naturally fit together in the context of community, it testifies to his power and to his glory. Also, Matthew, I'm sure, would have had quite a few skirmishes. There's another person in chapter 3 named Simon the Zealot. We don't know a lot about Simon, but the Zealots were a group of people who were for the military overthrow of the people of Rome. And then you have Matthew, who actually was in league with Rome as a tax collector, right? These are people from opposite ends of the political spectrum that are called together on the mission of Jesus. It would be just as radical today to have a hardcore Donald Trump supporter on this hand and a hardcore Biden supporter on this hand, but coming together for the good of 
um, for the good of the city and for the glory of God in the community for the sake of Jesus. These kinds of things and these kinds of relationships can only be explained by the power and the goodness of God. The final discipleship lesson that we're going to look at this morning, and and I want it to be something that sends us out, is that we are commissioned with authority. Look at chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 with me. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, there are two concepts that I think are vital for us to pick up here. First, we are sent, and secondarily, we have authority. We are sent. It says in the Gospel of John that the Father sends the Son, and the Son sends the Spirit, and now the Spirit sends and commissions us. So as we approach our mission in our city, it's important for us to realize that this is not our idea. We're going at the the sending of Jesus. And then the, the second idea that we need to pick up on is that we are actually commissioned with real authority. And that authority is meant to produce a, a real kind of boldness. It says that the original disciples had authority to cast out demons and to push back spiritual darkness. And what that means is that that although it's natural to be overwhelmed with the needs of our community and as we witness spiritual darkness, we also should be much more aware of the fact that Jesus has won authority on our behalf by defeating sin, death, hell, and the cross on the cross so that people can experience freedom and forgiveness and healing from all of the power of spiritual darkness. Is that how you view yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Do you view yourself as one who has spiritual authority? The scriptures say that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we've been commissioned to go out and represent Jesus and in his goodness to the world. So the goal of our discipleship is to bring as many people as we can into the kingdom of God so that they experience the goodness and the forgiveness and the mercy of our King. So I just want to pray that right now, that you, wherever you are, you would have a sense of of what are the next steps that God has for you in your followership of Him. Is it a relational connection with Him that He's inviting you back to? Is it a step to take towards community so that you can grow with other people? Is it a a relationship to begin so that other people can come to know His power? I'm going to pray that God would reveal that to you right now. Father, I pray that right now that you would very specifically speak to every person that is watching what it would mean for them to follow you. For those that have never placed their faith in you, I pray that they would be awakened to faith and that they would respond right now to your love. To those um, who are missing a relationship with you, I pray that you would bring them back to yourself and they would know your desire for them. For those that need friendship and community, I pray that you would open up doors for them to take steps towards relationships. For those um, that need to take fresh steps of initiative, 
towards people that need to know you, I pray that you would highlight the next steps for them. Lord, we give you full rule and reign over our lives, and we ask that you continue to bless us for the sake of Jesus. It's in his name we pray.